Welcome to today's Community Cast. My name is Matt Morgan. I'm the pastor at Community Brookside, a new church plant in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We are so blessed by your presence, and we hope that today's content will bring you joy. Well, good morning, everyone. I'm going to start this morning with a short, quick story about how we actually got verses in the Bible. Uh, the man's name is Greg Kukul, right? And he is the founder of a website called Stand and Reason. And he wrote an article in 2015, and this article is named Misquoting God Versus Commonly Misunderstood, Mischaracterized, or Maligned, Part 1, because there was another part. And it was posted to one of my favorite websites, Bible.org, where I go oftentimes to do some research for sermons and, and get to, you know, to copy and paste my scripture into an electronic format here uh, for you to follow along on the screen. But here's what he writes in his article in 2015. And he says this, in the year 1551, French printer, French, sorry, French printer Robert Stephanus added verse numbers to the chapter divisions that had already been inserted in scripture in the 13th century. This made navigating the text much easier, of course, but it caused a problem too. The numbering of individual sentences, or phrases even sometimes, tempts readers to take the text as a collection of discrete statements, having meaning and application in isolation from the larger work. Ergo, how does this apply to my life today? But God did not give the Bible as a collection of aphorisms, short, pithy, helpful statements to be applied piecemeal to our lives. He gave historical accounts Descriptions of events, biographies, poems, sermons, letters, and the like. The meaning of the parts of a passage is connected to the meaning of the whole. Meaning flows from the larger unit to the smaller unit. The sentence helps us understand the meaning of an individual word in that sentence. The paragraph helps us understand what the sentence means. The, the chapter helps us understand the paragraph's role in the larger narrative. And the genre and historical context... They help us understand the book in its entirety. Proper understanding of the whole, therefore, is key to understanding the meaning of and the proper application of the parts. We cannot simply isolate a sentence or two and ask, well, how does this fit into my life today? Instead, we have to follow the line of thought to know the broader passage and what it speaks and how it speaks to the particulars of our individual experience. Application not comes not from discrete sentences, but from the passage's narrative flow of thought or its logical flow of thought, but more obvious when the numbers don't get in the way. I say all this as kind of a reminder because the numbers that we find in our Bible are not divine. <gasps> They're not. The numbers were not inspired by God. The division of the chapter and the verses were not put there by Jesus himself. They were added much later to our scriptures. The divisions and the segments of scripture were added hundreds of years after the decisions that were made on which books were going to be included in our canon. That happened in the year 325 in the Common Era at the Council of Nicaea. So this is super important for us to remember when we think about Scripture because we have to remember there is always a bigger picture. Although the verses are important, we can't rip them out of their context and just throw them at something and say, this is my life's verse, because that doesn't make any sense. So today, I want to remind you that as we once again look at Scripture that's been pulled out of context, 
and misused sometimes, we need to think bigger than just one verse or just one phrase or sometimes even just two words, right? We need to hear what the rest of the story says for us. So this morning, we're going to dive into scripture that I'm pretty sure a lot of you guys know. We're going to start looking at the context uh, in the book of Philippians. And this morning, I want us to focus specifically on Philippians 4.13. And I'm sure as you hear that, you are automatically reading to yourself, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? Because I, I know that scripture. I don't, listen, I don't have a whole lot of scripture memorized, but this one I know. Because I remember being a little tiny child at vacation Bible school. I remember hearing it in Sunday school classes. I remember it being our challenge memory verse, right? Like if you were growing up in Sunday school like I was, um, you probably heard it in just this context. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So I want to share with you that that is the New King James Version translation of this scripture. So normally I, I don't use the New King James Version of the Scripture. I oftentimes use the New International Version because it's been kind of updated and it's a little more inclusive. It uses the phrase brothers and sisters and it's a little easier to read. But I want us to hear it in the New King James Version because I bet that's the version you've heard it from before. So when I said Philippians 4.13, how many of you exactly knew what I was talking about, right? You knew that Scripture because you've read it before. Raise your hands. Okay, you in the back. I, I see you. Okay, very good. So a few of you. How many of you guys have ever seen that scripture in tattoo form, right? Or maybe you have seen it in a cute kind of a homey sign that sits somewhere in a friend of yours house. Uh, maybe it's got just the Philippians 4.13 written on it, or maybe it's got the whole scripture written out. I wonder how many mugs right now this day are sitting on shelves around Christian coffee shops with that phrase on it. I mean, think about it. How many gyms have you been to and a giant like vinyl sticker on the wall has this scripture on it? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Philippians 4.13 is one of the most popular scriptures in all of the Bible. And if I'm being honest, it's a really good one for us to be able to, to really think about. It's a really good one if we're going to memorize the scripture. It's a solid scripture. It reminds us how big God is. However, again, this is one scripture that Christians have a tendency to rip out of its context and apply to things and situations that are very different from how the Apostle Paul wrote them. So according to BibleGateway.com, Philippians 4.13 is the second most popular verse in all of the New Testament, only slightly behind John 3.16. If you do some searching online of people quoting this verse, uh, you might see on Instagram that uh, people quote this verse over 56,000 times. And the most common references you might see are people quoting it in regard to some sort of exercise or fitness goal. Others quote Philippians 4.13 after passing a test or graduating from college. Some people use the scripture in reference to their diet. Pre-workout meal coming up, healthy creamy chicken with mushroom and sun-dried tomatoes plus brown rice, hashtag Philippians 4.13. This verse almost always gets quoted in connection with some sort of a goal, right? This is what I want to do, and it's me and Jesus. I'm going to win that pageant. I'm going to run that marathon. I'm going to get that promotion because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So the book of Philippians is a book that was written almost 2,000 years ago, written around the year 61. Can you imagine like the year 61 and what that looked like? So it was written by the Apostle Paul, and it was during an imprisonment that he was suffering in Rome. 
Paul was under house arrest in Rome and was awaiting trial under the governor or because of Governor Festus. You see, Paul was arrested in Jerusalem because his message about Jesus caused an uproar among the Jews. So Paul would preach in the court surrounding the temple and his message was often about how Jesus came to challenge and change the way that we did church. He changed the way that religion was done. Jesus came to, to so that the law of Moses was not the only way that people could worship God, but Jesus was the key to salvation, right? And so as Paul was preaching one day, he made the Jews mad. And so the Jews started stirring up the whole crowd around the temple and they started yelling to others that, that Paul was trying to teach everyone to hate the Jewish people. The men of Jerusalem grabbed Paul and they pulled him out of the temple and they began to beat him. And the crazy thing, Paul's life was only spared when the Roman soldiers who were occupying Jerusalem kind of came in and broke up the crowds, right? And they arrested Paul and they brought him to the governor Festus for trial. Now, while in the presence, the presence of governor Festus, Paul appealed his case to Rome. And so he wanted to have his trial be heard by Caesar. So Festus had him sent over to Rome for trial. So much like modern day, sometimes we don't get trials as quickly as we like. And so Paul, for two years, sat in a rented house in Rome under house arrest. And he was guarded by a single soldier. While Paul was in prison in Rome, we see that Paul did some of his greatest productive work. He wrote his prison epistles to the churches of Ephesus, Philippi, Colossae. And uh, he also wrote the letter to Philemon, who was the owner of a slave named Onesimus. So during this time, he also led untold numbers of people to Jesus, um, and this included his prison guards. Oftentimes, the prisons, when they rotated, Paul was able to speak with them, and he converted many of the guards who were supposed to keep him in his house. You see, uh, the, the home prison or house arrest in ancient Rome was a little bit different than our modern concept you see, Paul had to stay there, but people were free to come and visit. So Paul was able to preach and teach and, and share theology with people who would show up in the prison where he was. So while he was forced to stay in his rented accommodation, there apparently were no rules about people coming to visit. And so Paul got to change lives of people who heard the message of Jesus. And as we begin to look closer at the book of Philippians, we see that, uh, that this is a letter to the church at Philippi that Paul actually started. So the main purpose of this letter is to update the church on what's been going on in Paul's life. See, the church basically equipped Paul to become a missionary and they, they gave him resources and sent him out. So if you've ever been in church and heard a missionary come in and speak about what's happening in their, their uh, appointed location, like, uh, you know, some, some missionaries you hear talk about India where they are, or some talk about, you know, Indian reservations, or some talk about going down to Mexico or wherever to update the congregation on their work. Well, the book of Philippians is actually just like that. It's a written letter to the church to update them on what Paul is doing for the gospel. So it's written in the context that we find the scripture that we're focusing, it, I'm sorry, it's in this context that we, we find the scripture that we're focusing on this morning, right? So this book that's updating the church on, on all these things. And in order for us to really see how the scripture can fully and actually be applied to our lives and work today, we need to read that scripture in its whole context. We can't just say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So this morning, let's read together from the book of Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 4, and we're going to read through 23. So it'll be on the screen uh, so you can follow along. Here's what Paul says this morning. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. 
I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Hear this now. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every and any situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I sent out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is more, is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. So here we see that Paul is encouraging the Philippian church to be thankful in Jesus for all that they have and to focus on righteousness at all times, living like Paul lived, right? He encourages them to remember what he's taught them and to do what he does. And then he says, God will be with them. And then he goes on to talk about being content. And this contentment is what we should be focused on when we talk about Philippians 4.13. So I read you earlier the New King James Version. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But today, right now, I want to read to us from the book in the New International Version because it interprets this verse for us, but it won't be as familiar as you've heard it in the past. As we read earlier, we know that uh, uh, the New King James Version says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But in the New International Version, it points back to verse 12. I want you to see a comparison. So I'm going to have, yeah, there it is on the screen right now. So you can see in Philippians 4.13 in the New King James Version, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But the New International Version says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So when we say things like, I can do all this through him who gives me strength, it, all, all this what, right? So we have to go back to what was before. The New International Version points us backwards to the context that Paul is presenting to us. The message isn't that we can do all things. It's not what this verse is saying. It's not that we can just do whatever we want because Jesus is with us. 
This verse isn't saying that we can accomplish our dreams. It's saying that you can survive your nightmares. The Apostle Paul in this moment is telling the church at Philippi that he has learned to be content with whatever he has, right? He's thanking the church for remembering him and sending support to him. But even if they wouldn't, he would have been fine because Jesus has been the one to equip him to be content in all things. Philippians 4, 12 and 13 in a little bit broader context, says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. So the secret of contentment in good times and in bad is knowing that you can do all of this. You can be content through Christ who gives you the strength that you need. When things really do get tough, when there's total upheaval and uncertainty, when the world turns into 2020, are you still able to walk confidently in faith knowing that I can do all of this, whatever this is, through him who gives me strength? In America, things get so comfortable for us. You have people living their lives thinking that they don't need God, that they, they're, they're bigger than God. And that's, that they're fine on their own, but... What about when we've lost everything? What about when there's nothing left? What about when we're at our lowest moment in our lives? I'm pretty sure Christ strengthens us then too. In the NIV version, we see verse 13 reaching back into the previous verses and it references all this instead of all things. This subtle change is a more authentic translation of the Greek here as Paul is talking specifically about how he's dealt with being content. He's specifically talking about having enough and also having too little. He tells the Philippians that they should be content as he is because it is Jesus who meets his people in those times of want and he gives them the courage to live through those moments. Paul is telling the Philippian church and in turn he tells us today that our strength in every moment should come from Christ and nothing else. Not our things, not our money, not our titles, not our relationships. It's Christ alone. It is our Savior that gives us enough. It's our Savior that meets us where we are and comforts us when we need it. It's our Savior that shows up in our darkest hour of need and gives us provision. So Paul in this moment is telling the church and in turn is telling us that Jesus suffices. Jesus is enough. And we can be content in any situation as long as we have the hope that comes from Christ. Paul is talking about the power of Christ getting him through tough times. He's, he's learned to be content in situations where most of us wouldn't be content, right? And he's done it through the power of Christ. This verse, right after it, in verse 4, 14, makes it even more obvious when Paul says, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. See, whenever you rely on Jesus to help sustain you when life feels overwhelming, when things don't go the way you're desiring, or when acts of selfishness leave you short-handed, and when it seems like your faithfulness to the kingdom is going unnoticed, then you can confidently claim Philippians 4.13. When you're in the gym, however, that's probably more your own strength. Philippians 4.13 is not an absolute statement. It's a restrictive 
statement, confined to the immediate context of where Paul is putting it. Paul is not using this verse to say that we can win our sports games because it's Christ who strengthens us. He is not using this verse to say that we can achieve whatever skill set we want. He's not using this verse to tell us that we can get the promotion that we need or we can perform whatever laborious task that we have to engage in because it's Christ who strengthens us. We need to keep this verse in its context of what's before and after. Paul uses this verse to state that by the Lord's help, God can use both prosperity and adversity to change who we are. Whatever God called Paul to or put upon Paul in this text, whether it's prosperity or lack, Paul could handle it because he was united to his Savior Jesus and he was indwelt with the Spirit. If he was put in prison for uh, spreading the gospel, he could endure it for the sake of Christ because it was Christ who gave him the strength to endure it. So church, we have the ability to hear this scripture in its context and to focus on its true meaning. Philippians 4.13 is not an incantation that magically allows us to do or to be or to have whatever we want simply because we believe in Jesus. So we've got to stop using it that way. Philippians 4.13 is so much deeper than just getting what we want because we believe in who Jesus is. This verse is something that should be a constant reminder of the importance of the bigger picture. Because guess what? There's always a bigger picture. Paul is not in this moment telling you, telling you that you should dream bigger dreams. He's reminding all of us that we're going to be able to endure the crushing feeling of defeat if those dreams aren't realized. He's not encouraging Christians to go out and conquer the world. He's reminding them that they can press on when the world conquers them. Church, there will be times in our lives where we feel like we are being crushed. There will come times in our lives when we lose a job or we lose a loved one. So in those moments, in those adversities, in in the times of malcontent, we as believers need to remember that we can bear all of that because of who we draw our strength from. You probably don't know this, but I love hymns, right? We don't do a whole lot of them in here, but the ones we do, I deeply cherish. But one of my favorite hymns is Because He Lives. I've loved this song since I was a small child growing up at my home church here in Tulsa. The words of this song to me are so important for us as believers. And I also believe that they're directly related to what Paul is talking about in scriptures. The message of Paul to the church so long ago about being content in all things because it's Christ who gives us strength. I want you this morning to hear the words of this hymn. It goes like this. God sent his son. They called him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. He lived and he died to buy my pardon. And an empty grave is there to prove that my Savior lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because Jesus is alive. Church, because our Christ, our Savior lives, we can face any single adversity and we can be content in those moments. 
And the great news is, even when we're hurting, even when we're struggling, we still have that hope that we can share with all the world. So church, my challenge for all of us this week is to be content wherever you are. And sometimes I I know that's difficult. But if we believe in Jesus, there's nothing for us to be afraid of. There is nothing for us to fear. We have hope in Jesus. So we can be content. In this moment, church, know that whatever we face, we are not alone because Jesus lives. Thank you so much for joining us on today's Community Cast. We hope that you were blessed by today's conversation. If you'd like to know more about Community Brookside, please feel free to visit us at our website, communitybrookside.com, or find us on your favorite social media outlet. We hope to hear from you soon. Be blessed.